Hey, this is Joey. And this is Val. You're listening to the very first episode of On The Way. It's a podcast where we explore stories from the places near and dear to our hearts. Each episode, our guests will take us to places that have in some way shaped who they are. We'll get to know them, the story behind the place, and how it all comes together. Joey and I had a lot of fun making this episode, and we sincerely hope you'll enjoy it too. And now here I was in Japan about to meet Japanese people. So I was very worried what's going to happen if I don't feel like I fit in. Am I truly the odd person? That's my friend Jason. Just a few months ago, he spent some time in Tokyo as part of a program to learn Japanese. And as you might be able to tell, the trip was about a lot more than just learning Japanese. While he was there, he came face to face with something that many of us eventually have to come to terms with. But let's rewind here a bit and start at the beginning. Looking back, my mother's side, my mother's great-grandparents moved from Japan to Vancouver, where my grandparents were born. My grandparents, when World War II happened, uh, were actually declared as aliens to the country, and they had all their property seized from them, mm-hmm. and they were put in the internment camps. And then after the war, they were sent across the country to eventually when they lived in Toronto. And that's where Jason's mom was born. His dad was born and raised in Japan and worked in New Zealand for a bit where he learned English. The two met and settled in Toronto, and that's where Jason was born and grew up. I can't 100% relate to other, uh, my friends who are children of immigrants or immigrants themselves because my family has really been here for a long time, and my dad knew English my whole life. Um, So I guess growing up, I just grew up in a very typical Canadian fashion for where I lived in Richmond Hill. Like, I watched Spongebob, had sleepovers with friends, ate sandwiches at school, just very Western things to me. And race wasn't really a concept I was very aware of, until, actually, no, it was pretty young. Pretty young, actually. So I became aware of race, I'd say, around grade one, uh-huh. seven or eight years old. And at the time, it was more just like an observation of like, oh, I'm different than my peers. But I didn't think m- much about it at the time. Like, it didn't bother me at all because that was just the only life I knew. Right. So what, what was it about, like, what was different that you noticed? Um, I noticed that I looked different from them. Okay. So my hair was a different color. My skin was a bit different color. My eyes were a different color than a lot of them. Uh, In class photos, actually, this doesn't really have to do with race, though. I would always be, like, the shortest kid in the class. So, but that's another thing I noticed, too. Was there anything about the way people treated you that sort of signaled that maybe you are a little different? I don't feel like anyone treated me differently growing up, at least through elementary school. I think in some ways, though, I may have treated my peers differently. I remember in around grade three was the first time there was like a Chinese guy in our class. Like, oh, so before before grade three, you were like the only like Asian looking kid? As far as I can remember in my like homeroom class, yeah. I think I was the only Asian kid. And so in grade three, there was this Chinese guy. And 
I guess in my nine-year-old brain at the time, something must have clicked. Like, this guy looks like me. Hmm. Like, I wonder if he feels the same way about the people around him. And our friendship kind of sparked quite naturally, I felt. When I grew up from a very young age, I always knew that I was different hmm. from other people. I grew up in Scarborough, uh, which is like a very diverse community. Um, but English wasn't my first language. English was my second language. I spoke Cantonese first. And what that meant was that anyone who looked like me, I assumed I could speak to, and anyone who looked white or you know non-Chinese, yeah. I would assume, oh, they don't speak my language. They're different. And I guess that was like my model of thinking from a very, very young age. So it's really interesting for me to hear that, you know, although we both are visually minorities, mm -hmm. our ideas of difference and, you know, us and other are quite are quite different. Yeah. Um, I think that's really cool. When Jason started high school, his friend group started to change. I would gravitate more towards Chinese students. Um, I guess maybe having a little more similar culture, a uh, little easier communication to each other. And I think when you see another Asian person, you can kind of relate to the thoughts which they might have in their head huh? about how they're being perceived. And so around, yeah, early high school is when I started to want to fit in more, right? And so the easiest way for me to fit in at the time was to gravitate towards other Chinese students. Because hmm. were there other, like, Japanese students um, where you grew up? No, I've never met a Japanese person in Canada. Really? Yeah, full Japanese person. Even in a place like like the GTA in Toronto? Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. I guess you're the only Japanese person I know, Yeah. really. Um, so does that ever feel lonely in some way because I get now okay you fit in a little bit better with you know other Asian students but still you you know you you, you realize I imagine at the time that oh like I'm with other Asians but they're not Japanese mm -hmm. like was there any rift there did you still perceive a difference between you and other Asian students yeah so at first after kind of switching my friend group to more Chinese students and spending more time with them. At first, it was like a dream come true. Like, I can relate strongly to them. On what kind of things? Um, just stuff like interests, like stuff that typical American kids like doing in high school, going for bubble tea, karaoke and stuff. Um, I think, so at first, I've connected to them very strongly. But over time, I can kind of see more differences creep up on me. Like, for example, they would talk about going over to the auntie's houses, playing mahjong with each other, or, like, celebrating Chinese New Year. And these were all things which were just as foreign to me mm. as it would be to any other non-Chinese person. And so, so at first, when I felt like I truly fit in for the first time in my life, over time, slowly, slowly, I kind of felt less like a member of the group. I was curious, throughout high school and even in university, why was he having such a hard time meeting other Japanese people? Especially in a diverse place like Toronto, that's really surprising to me. I think that the majority of Japanese people living in Canada are 
currently like half Japanese. And I have many cousins like that. And it just seems that perhaps something due to what happened during the war, that the Japanese side in these families is kind of hidden under the bed. Like it's something that our ancestors, like my grandparents, are afraid to talk about. So I have cousins who are half white and half Chinese. But from my perspective, they act and behave as if they are fully white or fully Chinese. So it could be, it could also just be them gravitating towards the majority. Uh-huh. So I'm half white, I'm half Japanese. Here are all these white people. Right. I'm white too. So I, I think there are Japanese people, but present day, the majority don't see themselves as any bit Japanese. I think it also makes me feel very conflicted about how they're not, say, embracing this half side of them. But at the same time, I can't really blame them because there is no Japanese community in Canada, really. And it's kind of a fault on everyone in the community of not talking about this. It concerns me for my future of, like, if I were to marry someone of a different race, would my kids see themselves as Japanese or would they see themselves as whatever the majority community is? Or the other half. Or the other half. And I think on a personal level, that'd be something very stunning to me to see my kids grow up without having this acknowledgement, without without acknowledging that they're part Japanese. Do you think that was important for your parents raising you? I don't think it was super important for my parents, I think. Largely my grandparents in Canada. Um, growing up, I spent a lot of time around my grandparents. And I think they kind of, they would tell me a lot of stories. And from that, it kind of instilled this sense that, like the sense that like I need to keep being Japanese. But from my parents' perspective, I think they were just interested in providing me with a good childhood, which didn't necessarily mean being Japanese. You know, I know recently we both went on exchange together in Asia and afterwards you spent some time in Japan. The moment I knew I was going to Singapore, I had this thought in my head where this would be the first time and my best opportunity I've ever had in my life where I could meet other Japanese people. And so I never told anyone this, but I kind of made it a goal in my head that going to Singapore on exchange, I wanted to meet people from Japan and see what they were like and see if I could get that sense of belonging and fitting in stronger than I ever had felt before. And did you find it? Because I knew they were, you did hang out with some Japanese students. Yeah, I would say in the people who I met, we clicked on a lot of points that I've just never clicked with anyone else in my life before. We would talk about things like festivals we would do at home, the food we miss eating, and it just felt strangely homey to be talking to someone born and raised in a different country than me, but in a sense relating stronger to them than most people from the country where I was born. Do you feel like you got what you wanted? Yeah, 120%. Now, at the end of our exchange in Singapore, 
Jason enrolled in a language program to live in Tokyo and spend three months learning Japanese. But he knew it was about a lot more than that. I wanted to know what was going through his mind as he was waiting at the airport gates. I have so and so expectations. And what if they aren't met? Like, what if I don't feel like I fit in? So it was very scary because this was kind of like the last step I could take on this adventure. So, going through my life, first heading towards other Asians, and then not quite feeling like fitting in. And now here I was in Japan about to meet Japanese people. So, I was very worried what's going to happen if I don't feel like I fit in? Am I truly the odd person? Because at first, actually, uh, I have to admit, like when I got to Japan and I would go into grocery stores, Or to restaurants, I didn't feel comfortable because already I don't speak the language very well. But as time passed on, my level of comfort grew. Growing up, I've always had this feeling where my hair looks different than other Asian people I would meet. And the hair I'm trying to talk about is like the typical Chinese hair very straight, smooth. Uh, and my hair was never like that. Like, as soon as my hair would grow long, it would get kind of curly. And I always kind of wanted hair like other Asian kids. And I always wondered, why is my hair different? And then there was this one time when I was traveling alone, sitting at a train platform, and these bunch of these school kids, a bunch of boys going to school in their school uniforms. And when you travel alone, you have a lot more time to just. Look at your surroundings in more detail. And then I actually looked at their hair for quite a long time, and then it clicked that their hair looks exactly like how my hair looked growing up. And so the reason why my hair didn't look like other Asians is not because I'm this weird one out of the group, but I'm just a different race than them. <laughs> You're just Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> Jason spent his mornings and early afternoons in classes, but the rest of the days were his to spend exploring the city and hanging out with new friends that he made there. And as he spent more time with locals, he started to see them in a different way. Living in Japan, it taught me a lot about how Japanese people are very hard to categorize or kind of put blanket statements on. Like, there were people in Japan who were super outgoing and super shy, just like anywhere else in the world. And so I think living in Japan kind of shattered some of those expectations, but in a good way. Like, oh, everyone is not how I thought they might would Everyone is not how I thought they might be like. And what did you think they would be like? I guess like typical Japanese people. And what, is, what does that mean? Usually on the reserve side, would spare judgment if they could, putting the interests of the group above themselves.、Mm -hmm. I thought people in Japan would be like that. And you're saying that there was more diversity than you thought there would be? Yeah. In a good way, though. I think after living in Japan, I came out appreciating the differences. The people a lot more. 
Jason lived by himself in a small apartment near Ginza in Tokyo. Like a lot of other apartments in the city, it was only a few steps away from the narrow subway station, and a neighborhood shrine was just around the corner. It was an unusually quiet neighborhood for being such a lively city. And it was here where Jason came at the end of the day to collect his thoughts. It was a very stressful period in my life. So here I was, I just moved to Japan. I'm living on my own in Tokyo. I have no friends yet. I have to meet friends. I don't speak the language very well. So there was a lot of nervousness and worry in my life. And yet, sitting in that apartment, I felt happy. And this thought just came into my head like, this is home. How did you know it was home? Like, what was it about it that made it feel like home? So I guess growing up, I've always had that strong feeling of, or that strong desire to fit in with the people around me. And as soon as I got to that apartment, I knew that I could walk outside and I would look like everyone else. And I would get no attention if I walked into a grocery store or a restaurant. And all these worries which I have in my head when I do those things in Canada, like, oh, are they looking at me? Am I being stereotyped? Where for the first time in my life, like, they went away. So that apartment was special to me because it's where many of my ideas kind of transferred from subconscious to my conscious thoughts. And I had a lot of time to think about them. And I distinctly remember this one night where I was sitting in my apartment and I just felt very happy and fulfilled. And I told myself, like, remember this moment. It means a lot to you. And someday I want to come back to Japan to feel this feeling of happiness again. After being in Asia for about half a year, Jason came back to Toronto with a new understanding of what being Japanese meant to him. I think something interesting actually is, I think before going to Japan, like as you said, I would try to have things about me that would like differentiate myself from other Asian people. Like, oh yeah, I'm Japanese. Um, so for example, like before going to Japan, I would have stuff like, like I wear a Japanese watch and I would wear a Japanese necklace. And like, because these are Japanese things, which in my mind, maybe hopefully someone could tell the difference. Going to Japan made me realize that those things are kind of weird over there. Like wanting to look Japanese. Because why would you want to look Japanese in Japan? So in Japan, I stopped doing a lot of those things. Like I stopped wearing shirts with Japanese characters and I stopped wearing a Japanese necklace because it would make me stand out there and I wanted to fit in. And so I kind of realized that being Japanese means not sticking out, fitting in with the group. And I stopped wearing those things coming back to Canada. So now here I am. And externally, I might look less Japanese as a result of not wearing these things. But I think I am more comfortable, actually, when that other person comes in and looks around. I'm more comfortable with knowing myself, like, 
I'm different than these people. Like, I'm Japanese. So I think being back home, I still have that desire to fit in, but I've kind of reconciled with myself that it won't and it can't perfectly happen in Canada. And so I think as a result of that, I've also become a lot more comfortable in my surroundings in Canada. Like It's just this acknowledgement that the thing I'm chasing, the thing I've been chasing for my whole life, fitting in, won't happen perfectly in Canada. But knowing that also brings a sense of comfort. So it's like, it's okay to feel this way because you know that across the ocean, there's that place where you can't feel like that. That was our very first episode of On The Way. We hope you enjoyed it. Joey and I had a blast making it. Huge thank you to our good friend Jason Sakaguchi for taking the time to share his story with us. And of course, thank you for listening. We want to hear what you think. So find us at onthewaypodcast.com and give us a shout on Facebook and Twitter. We want to know what you think about this episode. You can join our mailing list to stay in the loop. Our next episode is coming, hopefully before winter does. This episode was created by Joey Loy and myself, Valentine, in snowy, uptown, Waterloo, Canada. <laughs>